Hey, did you hear the news? Based on a True Story has its own Alexa skill. Just say, Alexa, enable Based on a True Story to enable it, and then you can say things like, Alexa, tell Based on a True Story to play the latest episode. Or, Alexa, tell Based on a True Story to fast forward two minutes. Check it out and let me know what you think by leaving a review for the skill. Thanks. All right, and now, on with the show. Last year, one of the movies we covered here on the podcast was Becoming Jane. In that episode, we learned about one of England's greatest authors, Jane Austen. Three years after Jane's unfortunate early passing, an American author was heavily inspired by her works in his first novel. I'm speaking, of course, about Precaution, which was published in 1820 by James Fenimore Cooper. Let's just say James's version of Jane Austen's writing style was, well, not quite to Jane's level. Fortunately, he didn't stick to her writing style and eventually formed his own as he went on to become one of the greatest American writers in the first half of the 19th century. His most famous work was released in 1826, just six years after his first. In fact, it was that story that ended up being told time and time again through the cinema. Since the first adaptation in 1911, James Fenimore Cooper's novel, The Last of the Mohicans, has been turned into a movie or TV show a total of 11 times, including many versions from outside the United States. Today, we'll be learning about the latest in that long line, director Michael Mann's interpretation of the book, the 1992 film starring Daniel Day-Lewis. And while James Fenimore Cooper's original book is a novel, In other words, it is a work of fiction. However, there have been many people who think it is entirely true. Perhaps that's because of the impact that Cooper's original book had on American literary history. Or perhaps it's because there are plenty of things in there that are based in truth. The question is, how much? I'm Dan Lefebvre, and this is Based on a True Story. Now it's time to set up our game, Two Truths and a Lie. If you're new to the show, here's how it works. I'm about to say three facts, and two of them are actually true, which means one of them is a lie. Are you ready? Okay, here they are. Number one, Daniel Day-Lewis's character, Hawkeye, wasn't real. Number two, Chingachgook was really the last of the Mohicans. Number three, George Washington's only military surrender sparked the beginning of the French and Indian War. Got them? Okay, now as you're listening to our story today, you'll find the two facts scattered somewhere throughout the episode, and then by a simple process of elimination, you'll know which one is a lie. And, of course, we'll do a recap at the end of the episode to see how well you did. Before we begin today's story, I just want to say thank you to the amazing folks who have signed up to become a producer of the show over at patreon.com slash based on a true story podcast to help me really keep the lights on here at the show, so to speak. Thank you so much. Alrighty, let's compare history with the 1992 director's cut of Hollywood's interpretation of The Last of the Mohicans. 
Today's movie begins by setting up some context for us through some text. According to that text, it's 1757, and we're in the American colonies where a war has been raging for three years now. On one side is England, on the other, France. Both are battling for possession of the continent. Of course, three years before 1757 would mean that if the movie was correct, the war between England and France would have begun in 1754. And that is true. While it was called by many names at the time, today we know of the battles in North America as the French and Indian War. Although it's worth pointing out that most historians consider the French and Indian War to really just be the North American theater of a bigger conflict that exploded in Europe called the Seven Years' War. That was in 1756. Now, a few years before that, though, in 1753, French troops marched south from Canada to claim territory in Ohio. They built forts there, much to the protest of the British, who claimed the Ohio Valley as their own. So it was in 1754, like the movie says, that the war between the French and British began. One of the events that kicked it off was on May 28, 1754 when a young lieutenant colonel in the British Army got his first taste of combat. That would be none other than George Washington, who was 21 at the time. He had about 40 troops under his command, and along with help from a member of the Seneca tribe, a chief named Tana Cherison, Washington tracked down a French detachment of about 32 troops the night before May 28th. Then, first thing in the morning, Washington's men surprised the French. The attack only lasted about 15 minutes. Reports vary about the exact number of French killed. Some say that there were 10 killed, while others say 12 or 13. One thing the reports agree on, though, was that a majority of the French, 21 of the troops, were captured and taken prisoner. But this was more than just another battle. There had been plenty of skirmishes between the British and the French leading up to this event, after their capture, the stories seemed to differ depending on who you ask. Tana Cherison had killed the French commander, something that led the other Indian warriors under Tana Cherison's command to do the same, resulting in the nine other Frenchmen to be killed and scalped. Washington, remember this was his first combat, seemed to have been shocked by the brutality of the battle. For their part, the survivors among the French insisted that they were on a diplomatic mission. That's why they didn't post centuries and why they had been so surprised by Washington's attack. This 15-minute skirmish, which is still debated by historians today, was the basis for the French vilifying Washington into someone without honor. As a result of this battle, the French retaliated by defending Washington where he went after the battle to an outpost he built in Pennsylvania called Fort Necessity. It was that defeat of Washington, which happened to be the only time in his military career that he surrendered, that kicked up the battles and is what many historians refer to as the beginning of the French and Indian War. Back in the movie, after setting up the context of the war between the French and British, we're introduced to the three main characters in the film. There's Russell Means' character, Chingachgook, along with Eric Schweig's character, Uncas. 
they're biologically father and son. Well, Daniel Day-Lewis's character, Nathaniel Poe, or Hawkeye as he's also called, is Chingachgook's adopted son. In this opening scene, we see the three of them kill a deer and then take it back to the home of some friends on the frontier, the Cameron family, John, Alexandra, and James, along with their two kids. No, not that James Cameron. Most of those characters, including Chingachgook and Hawkeye, are fictional. They were made up by James Fenimore Cooper for his book that the movie is based on. So anytime the main characters in a movie are entirely fictional, well, that probably gives you an indication of the level of historical accuracy in the story. Now, you'll notice I said most of the characters are fictional. That's because one of the ones that we're introduced to here in the beginning of the movie was real. That would be Uncas. He was a chief of the Mohican people who was, like the movie shows, allied with the British. Except there's one big difference between the Uncas we see in the movie and the real one. Well, maybe two. First, since Chingachgook was a fictional character, that would mean he wasn't Uncas's father. Secondly, the real Uncas wasn't alive in 1757. Of course, we don't have birth certificates or documents to prove an exact date, but Uncas was probably born somewhere around the year 1588 and died nearly 100 years later in either 1683 or 1684. That's about 95 or 96 years old, in case you're trying to do the math there. So again, you can see how historically accurate the movie is, since the real Uncas lived a very long life. Speaking of which, if we head back to the movie's timeline, we're soon introduced to a couple other characters. That would be Cora Monroe and her younger sister, Alice, Cora is played by Madeline Stowe, while Alice is played by Jodie May. Both Cora and Alice are fictional characters, but the movie is correct in showing that Cora's father, who's played by Maurice Rhodes in the film, was in the British Army. Although, his name wasn't Colonel Edmund Monroe like it is in the book. In truth, the real commander of the British troops at Fort William Henry was a man by the name of Lieutenant Colonel George Monroe. The thing is, we don't know a lot about the real George Monroe. I'm sure it's no surprise that I believe we can learn from history. And that includes my own personal history, too. You know how your phone will remind you of photos that you took on this day a few years ago? Well, I just had one pop up and it reminded me of a time a few years ago when my daughter and I were heading out on a four hour drive to a state park. And It couldn't have been more like 10 minutes into the drive when my check engine light turned on and my car just started shaking really, really bad. Needless to say, we ended up spending the rest of the day at the mechanic instead of the park. Not only was that day ruined, but all of a sudden I had a huge unexpected bill to figure out how to pay. And I really wish I had known about today's sponsor then because that would have relieved a lot of stress. Earn In helps alleviate financial anxiety by giving you access to your pay as you work instead of waiting for the next paycheck. You can get up to $100 a day or up to $750 per pay period. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under Podcast when you sign up, and it'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. 
EarnIn is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, EarnIn. The movie doesn't really mention this, but in the original book, Cora was actually biracial. I'm only mentioning that be really to help get a tone for the original book. The character of Cora being biracial would have been a lot more significant at the time when James Fenimore Cooper published the book in 1826 than now, and sadly, not in a good way. Here's a quote from the original book where we learn about that, and I warn you, there's some overt racism in this quote. To set up the scene a little bit, this is a conversation between Major Duncan Hayward and Colonel Monroe about the Major's interest in Cora. Oh, and Major Duncan Hayward is played by Stephen Waddington in the movie, in case you want to put a face to the conversations. But this is Colonel Monroe, a Scotsman, speaking first. You'll know already, Major Hayward, that my family was both ancient and honorable, commenced the Scotsman, though it might not altogether be endowed with that amount of wealth that should correspond with its degree. I was, maybe, such an one as yourself, when I plighted my faith, to Alice Graham, the only child of a neighboring laird of some estate. But the connection was disagreeable to her father, on more accounts than my poverty. I did therefore what an honest man should, restored the maiden her troth, and departed the country in the service of my king. I have seen many regions, and had shed much blood in different lands, before duty called me to the islands of the West Indies. There was my lot to form a connection with one who in time became my wife and the mother of Cora. She was the daughter of a gentleman of those isles, by a lady whose misfortune it was, if you will, said the old man proudly, to be descended remotely from that unfortunate class who are so basely enslaved to administer to the wants of a luxurious people. Aye, sir, that is a curse entailed on Scotland by her unnatural union with a foreign and trading people. But could I find a man among them who would dare to reflect on my child, he should feel the weight of a father's anger. Ha! Major Hayward, you are yourself born at the South, where these unfortunate beings are considered of a race inferior to your own. Tis most unfortunately true, sir, said Duncan, unable any longer to prevent his eyes from sinking to the floor in embarrassment. And you cast it on my child as reproach. You scorn to mingle the blood of the Haywards with one so degraded, lovely and virtuous though she be, fiercely demanded the jealous parent. So, as we can tell, there was a big issue of racism here in the original story itself. And as far as the movie is concerned, it seems to gloss over this a bit since it doesn't really mention it at all. The character of Major Duncan Hayward was the one who we saw in the movie lead the two girls from Fort Edward to Fort William Henry. Their party is led by a man named Magua, who's played by Wes Studi in the film. They lose Magua along the way once Hawkeye, Chingachgook, and Uncas show up and suggest Magua is actually a Huron scout, an Indian tribe allied with the French. None of that is real. As you can probably guess, Magua is a fictional character. That whole plot is just part of the storyline created by James Fenimore Cooper in his novel. The next part in the movie, though, has some basis in history. 
I'm talking about the part where, after getting ambushed by Magua and the Hurons, the now much smaller party of three British, that include Major Duncan Hayward and the two women, continues with the Mohicans leading now until finally arriving at Fort William Henry to find it being bombarded by the French. Fort William Henry was a real place, and that bombardment was also a real event. For some geographical context here, Lake Champlain is a massive lake that goes all the way from Canada on the northern tip of the lake down through a good portion of the border between modern-day Delaware and New York. Just south of Lake Champlain is another lake called Lake George, named after King George II in 1755 after Sir William Johnson led British forces to occupy the land. At least, that's its name today. It wasn't always called that. The original name was Andia Tarokte, and I'm fairly certain I butchered that pronunciation. In fact, I'm not the only one who butchered the pronunciation of that lake. When James Fenimore Cooper wrote his book, he decided not to call the lake by its real name because, well, he thought it would be too tough to pronounce. So he called it Lake Horicon in the book. Anyway, on the southern tip of what we now know as Lake George was a fort that William Johnson built. The lake he named after King George II, the fort he named after King George II's younger brother, Prince William Henry. While the original Fort William Henry is not there anymore, in June of 1855, a luxurious hotel was built on the lands where it once stood. That hotel, called the Fort William Henry Hotel, is still open. Well, not that one. The first hotel burned down in 1909, but then it was rebuilt in 1911. And since then, it's had plenty of additions, upgrades, and so on. But you can still visit the historic region or a book a stay over at fortwilliamhenry.com. This isn't an ad for them at all. I haven't ever been there. But at the very least, I'd recommend hopping on their website to see some of the beautiful pictures of the lake and surrounding land or read more about their history over the years just to get a sense for where all of this went down. But it was there on the southern tip of Lake George that the French laid siege to Fort William Henry. The movie doesn't mention specific dates at all, but the siege lasted between the 3rd and 9th of August in 1757. Although it's worth pointing out that the real Fort William Henry didn't look like a medieval castle like we see in the movie. It was actually mostly made of a wall of dirt lined with timber for a total of about 30 feet thick. That's a little over 9 meters thick. It was basically a square fortress with bastions or towers to shoot out of on each of the corners. Probably the biggest thing to keep in mind was that it was designed by Major William Eyre under the order of Sir William Johnson. It was built to fight against the American Indians in the region. They didn't really build it to hold off artillery like the French had. According to the movie, the fort ends up falling to the French. The British surrender and are allowed to leave but then afterward, Magua and his band of Huron warriors ambushed the British, slaughtering all of them except for our main characters who managed to escape. Naturally, the specifics of all of that are made up and really a fictional plot line of the film, but the overall gist of that is actually true. The French general Montcalm, who's played by Patrice Chereau in the movie, demanded surrender immediately upon arrival. But Monroe, who was the commander of Fort William Henry, refused. They held on for a while. The movie doesn't really show the full scale of the troops on either side, but the French had some 8,000 men while the British had about 2,500. On August 9th, 
After days of surviving a bombardment in a fort that was never designed to do so, Monroe waved the white flag. He came out to talk with General Montcalm, and the latter agreed that Monroe and his men could leave peacefully with their weapons, provided that they leave the ammunition behind. As the British left the fort, General Montcalm assigned about 200 men to escort Monroe's remaining men to Fort Edward. If you recall, that's where we saw Cora and Alice Monroe leave from to go to Fort William Henry. And for some geographical context here, Fort Edward is about 15 miles or 24 kilometers to the south of where Fort William Henry was. Speaking of the men who surrendered, though, we don't know exactly how many men were left in Monroe's command after the siege, but some estimates have it being somewhere between 1,000 and 1,400 men. The day after their surrender of Fort William Henry, the column of British were headed back to Fort Edward when they were attacked by a band of Indians. How many? Again, we don't really know. Some say there were a few hundred. Others say around 1,500 or 1,600. The number didn't really matter as much, if you remember, because the French had insisted the British leave their ammunition behind. So the British were effectively unarmed. So was the massacre like what we saw in the movie? Well, again, we don't really know, but probably not. Some historians suggest that perhaps 40 men were killed. Colonel Monroe himself would report later that in all, he had lost 129 men. That wasn't just the attack after the siege, but during the siege as well. So 129 men total, which would put into question that number I mentioned earlier, saying that there were only 1,000 or 1,400 men left. But even then, that's hard to prove, and it's not like there were only soldiers at the fort. So there were also women and sutlers or traders there as well. According to a great book by Ian K. Steele called Betrayals, Fort William Henry and the Massacre, there were more like 2,300 soldiers who left Fort William Henry on August 9th, and on August 14th, about 500 arrived with Monroe and the French Guard at Fort Edward. But that doesn't mean that 1,800 people were killed in the 15 miles between the two forts. More people trickled into Fort Edward after Monroe arrived. It seemed that the surprise attack caused so much confusion that a lot of people fled into the woods. Some made their way back to the fort. Some didn't. Ultimately, we don't really know how many people were killed. Going back to the movie, some people escaped the attack when we see Chingachgook, Uncas, and Hawkeye manage to flee the scene with Cora, Alice, and Major Duncan Hayward. There's a couple more soldiers with them, and together they hop into a couple of convenient place canoes and head down the river. Then they stop just before a waterfall and hide out behind the falls. But, alas, that doesn't last too long. The three Mohicans, I'll call them that even though Hawkeye wasn't technically a Mohican, leave through the waterfall just as Magua and his warriors find them capturing Duncan, Cora, and Alice. That's how they end up back at the Huron village where Hawkeye walks in, unarmed, in an attempt to convince the Sakim, or the chief of the Hurons, to release the women. Duncan insists the chief take his life instead of the women. The chief agrees, and they burn Duncan at the stake, Hawkeye mercifully shooting him later as he leaves with the women. None of that is true. Remember, those are all fictional characters, and, well, so is the storyline. The movie ends on a sad note when Magua catches up with the women and the Mohicans 
killing Uncas and throwing him off the cliff. Then he corners Alice, who throws herself off the cliff following Uncas, who she apparently loves. Of course, none of that is true either. But interestingly, the filmmakers made a change here to the original story. It wasn't Alice who threw herself off the cliff like this. In fact, this whole scene is quite a bit different in the book than it was in the movie. According to the book, the Indians who held the captives weren't Magua's Huron, but rather the Delaware. They're the people that the state is named after. Magua managed to convince the chief there that Hawkeye and his friends were their enemies and racists at that. But then the Delaware found out that Uncas, who was there too, was Mohican. The Mohican and the Delaware were friends, so they agree to what Uncas demands. Release all of the prisoners except Cora. Apparently, she belongs to Magua. Which, again, is quite different than the movie. There's no love interest between Hawkeye and Korra in the book. It's Magua who loves Korra, while a racist Major Hayward doesn't like the biracial Korra, but rather likes the younger sister, Alice. So Magua leaves with Korra, but then Uncas wants to free Korra anyway, so they attack Magua after leaving the Delaware village. It's here that Korra is killed, which doesn't happen in the movie at all, and not in the way that we saw Alice die in the movie. She's stabbed by one of the Huron warriors with Magua, and then after Uncas tries to exact his revenge on the warrior who killed Korra, Magua stabs Uncas in the back. Then Magua dies after he tries to escape, but ends up falling down a cliff. And as you can probably guess, none of that is true, since it's the book's fictional version of the story, but I just want to point that out. It's still different than what we saw in the movie. In the end, the movie correctly shows that it's Chingachgook who mourning the loss of his son, is the last of the Mohicans. Well, we already learned that Chingachgook is a fictional character, so it's probably not a surprise to learn that that's not actually true. It's just correctly showing it as far as the book is concerned. But if the Mohicans were a real people, and they aren't around anymore, and Chingachgook was not the last of the Mohicans, who was the last of the Mohicans? Well. As you can probably guess, when a people's culture is lost, it usually doesn't happen that quickly. Like many cultures who were gobbled up by the ever-expanding colonial empire, first England and then the United States, the Mohicans were just one of the American Indian tribes who were forced to leave their homes and move west. For the Mohicans, along with some other Indians from Massachusetts, they were given a reservation of about 300,000 acres near Stockbridge, New York, might sound like a lot, but they had over 6 million acres in their former territory. They started a new town, calling it New Stockbridge, and adopted Christian beliefs from the American missionaries who further continued to distance them from their former way of life. Part of that was their language, which has been lost to time. They didn't stay in New York for long. Around the same time that James Fenimore Cooper's book was published in the mid-1820s, the Mohicans were part of the Stockbridge Indians who were forced to move to Wisconsin, the U.S. government moving them further west to make room for new white settlers in New York. In Wisconsin, their lands shrunk again, this time to 23,000 acres. There's still a reservation there today, including the North Star Mohican Resort Casino that helps provide a much-needed source of income for the tribe. In 2011, the Seneca Nation of Indians sued the state of New York, trying to get back some of their original lands in what is now Madison County, the Seneca Nation of Indians, including the descendants of the Mohicans. 
New York agreed to give them a little bit of land in Madison County as long as the tribe agreed to settle for most of it, 330 acres, about 133 miles to the south in Sullivan County. So how much land did they get in Madison County? Well, certainly not the 6 million acres that the American Indians once roamed. In the settlement, the Seneca Nation of Indians was given a total of 1.84 acres. This episode of Based on a True Story was written and produced by me, Dan Lefebvre. We've only scratched the surface of the true story. There's so much more here. And there's so many great resources to learn more about the Mohicans and other American Indian tribes as part of the bigger colonialism of the United States. If you're looking for a place to start, though, I would recommend Facing West, The Metaphysics of Indian Hating and the Empire Building by Richard Drennan, or The Ignoble Savage, American Literary Racism, 1790-1890 by Louise K. Barnett. Of course, those are more historical books. There's always the original book that the movie is based on, The Last of the Mohicans by James Fenimore Cooper. Well, not the most accurate telling of history, especially considering it was published before the Civil War in 1826, it's still helpful to get a look into the context of history. I'll include links to those books and plenty more resources over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. Before we find out the answer to the two truths and a lie game, here's another five-star review. This one comes from O'Malley13. It's a brief review on Apple Podcasts, and it says, A+. Really interesting way to learn historical events. Well presented. And since the review is short and sweet, I'll keep my reply as well. Thanks, O'Malley13. Okay, now it's time for the answer to our two truths and a lie game from the beginning of the episode. As a refresher, here are the two truths and one lie. Number one. Daniel Day-Lewis's character, Hawkeye, wasn't real. Number two, Chingachgook was really the last of the Mohicans. Number three, George Washington's only military surrender sparked the beginning of the French and Indian War. All right, now it's time for you to guess. Which one is a lie? The lie is number two. As we learned, even though he was the last of the Mohicans as far as the book is concerned, so the movie got that right if you're talking about the book, historically, Chingachgook was a fictional character. Not only that, but there are actually still descendants from the Mohicans alive today. For example, Anthony Kiedis, the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like many of us, Anthony has a long list of nations that he can count as his ancestral heritage. Among them are the Mohicans. And that brings us to an end of our story today, but it doesn't have to be the end of your learning about the true story of American colonialism. Don't forget you can find links to plenty of books, resources, and more over at the show's home on the web based on a true story podcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll chat with you again really soon. <laughs>